the first thing is that people think solar is extremely expensive, but what we've seen is like a tremendous drop in the cost of panels, cost of equipment, the cost of financing. It definitely is worthwhile to look at solar now. Welcome to another episode of The Solar Maverick with your host, Benoit Thanjan, and co-host Lee Wang. So Benoit, what have you been up to since we last talked? What's been going on? Sure. So I was actually in California the past month. We opened offices in San Diego and Los Angeles, but then actually the biggest solar conference, just called Solar Power International, was in Anaheim, California in September. And I actually had an opportunity as well to speak in the conference. There was about 20,000 people who attended the conference this year. And they had it actually in Anaheim two years ago and was around sixteen to 17,000. So it's exciting to see like the industry growing. They also incorporated energy storage, which is a topic we kind of mention a lot because in the future it's going to be solar plus energy storage you know, as a viable long-term solution. Why was uh, storage such a big focus this year? Well, everyone's trying to figure out how to couple both of the technologies together, solar energy plus energy storage. You know, solar right now is an intermittent form of power, which you can't store when the sun's not shining. Energy storage or battery storage enables you to basically store the solar energy that you're able to then use it at night or times when the panels are not in use. Oh, that's great. You know, actually, this episode, we're going to focus a lot on myths surrounding solar power. So this is a perfect opportunity to discuss some of the myths around storage and when how you can use solar energy. Definitely. Yeah. So I think you had met with a very important person. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think that person was back in June, actually. So okay. it's been a few months. It was amazing. I had an opportunity right. to meet with uh, former President Barack Obama at a DNC event. And actually, we spoke for a few minutes about solar energy and he's always been very pro-renewables and we had a great conversation and if you go to our website you could see pictures of me shaking his hand and it was an amazing and surreal experience that's great speaking of surreal i heard you went to see the los angeles rams play yes i saw the rams play and the la chargers so both la teams which are both actually were some of the best teams in the NFL, and it was amazing to go to the Rams game and kind of see the excitement, at least in the L.A. Coliseum, for the Rams. You know, they were obviously in St. Louis for a very long time, but the fan base was definitely very engaged versus the Chiefs, and it was a Thursday night game, and it was pretty amazing. So did they look like the best team in the league right now? Oh, definitely. From what I saw, they definitely, like Jared Goff and... Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald, and the defense. So, yeah, I mean, you never know with the Patriots. <laughs> so uh, the Patriots always seem to come out on top, so we'll see. So That's which such... of the California sports facilities, do any of them have solar incorporated now? So right now they're all going through a transition. The Chargers and the Rams are building a new stadium where they both are going to share. I'm not sure whether that actually is going to have solar pretty sure the Coliseum doesn't have solar, and I don't know about the Stubbs Hub Center, where the Chargers play, which is actually the Galaxy, which is a major league soccer team plays. But I think the Galaxy's practice facility, they have solar, but I'm not sure about the Stubbs Hub Center, their stadium. I imagine it'd be hard to retrofit the Coliseum with anything. Yeah, at this point, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It's a very, very old stadium, and it's going under a lot of, like, even construction when we were at the game, so... Well, speaking of that, today we wanted to really talk about some of the myths of solar energy. What are some of the things you hear when you talk to owners about 
retrofitting solar onto buildings? Are there a lot of myths on what you can and cannot do? Yeah, definitely. I think the first thing is that people think solar is extremely expensive. Most of these building owners are going solar based on it being cheaper than what they're currently paying for electricity. Right now, basically, especially when you talk about the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic, not California, Arizona, Hawaii, you do need government incentives to make these projects work. But what we've seen is like a tremendous drop in the cost of panels and cost of equipment, the cost of financing. So, you know, it does make economic sense, depending on the situation, for companies to go solar and that it'll be an economic benefit to the company, not just like an environmental or or sustainability goal, which I think is one of the biggest myths when you talk about solar energy. And Renew Energy does a lot of these feasibility studies, right? Yeah. So we, we help companies as a consultant and as a developer to basically help them look at the different sort of, from a technical perspective, where the solar project can be located, whether there needs to be roof work done, incentives, and then like the financial modeling or showing like the financial payback of a potential solar project. That brings up an issue we have. I printed out an article here about different myths about solar energy. And the first one, you know, many people think solar power will get more efficient. So I should wait to buy or install. And in this article, they say, well, many companies are working to improve the efficiency of solar panels. The current technology for solar panels is well-established. Do you agree with this general statement that people shouldn't wait? As I said, there are incentives, federal and local, that actually make the payback of these systems pretty quick. So, for example, there's a federal investment tax credit and accelerated depreciation that basically pays for 50% of the cost of the system, and that doesn't include the state-level incentives. Yes, costs are coming down significantly. As I mentioned, panel prices have gone down 500%. Also, like the efficiency of the panels, meaning the sunlight that you could actually convert to usable energy, has increased dramatically from like maybe 10% to now like 20%. So you've seen a doubling on that. But based on the government incentives you know, it definitely is worthwhile to look at solar now. The technology is pretty well established. So even if I'm a conservative building owner, financially conservative building owner, if I invest in solar now, are you saying that it's worthwhile, A, and that you can probably upgrade your systems as you grow? Is that accurate, too? The solar panels usually last 25 to 30 years, so you're not going to really change it. But based on the building owner situation, it might make sense to do solar now than waiting, specifically related to like the federal and state level incentives. Like, for example, this investment tax credit, that's 30% is going to be stepping down over a period of time. And that is a huge sort of economic incentive. And what we're seeing in general is like the state level incentives are going down as solar gets cheaper. I think it just depends on the situation and everyone could uh, determine for themselves or or obviously hire companies out there. So, Benoit, last time we talked about the difference between different states in America that are leading the solar charge, and you mentioned Massachusetts and even where we are in here in New York, New Jersey, as being pretty forward-thinking as far as solar goes. One of the myths discussed in the article is that solar panels do not work well in cold climates. And this article states that most solar panels actually work pretty well in cold, and as long as it's sunny conditions. 
talk about this perception. Yeah, definitely. So as long as the sun is shining, no matter whether it's cold or hot, the panels will be generating energy. So yes, you're not going to get the same uh, production from the same panel in New Jersey as in California, because obviously California get a lot more sun. But still, New Jersey, even in the wintertime, if it's a really cold day and there's a lot of sunlight coming, then your panels are going to still be performing at the same way it would be in a colder, warm climate. You know, along those lines, another point that people don't seem to understand, which is brought up in this article, is solar panels. Uh, They think that solar panels require a tracking system to follow the angle of the sun. This article is saying that, in fact, they don't need a tracking system, that they do sort of adjust throughout the day without one. Yeah, so usually um, what has happened is usually you're trying to get southern exposure because that's where you'll get the most sunlight. So you'll have your panels facing southward to take advantage of the sun. There was a big price difference between fixed tilt, which is basically meaning that what's holding your panels stays basically in the same place or trackers which basically move the sun but we're seeing like tracker technology like the pricing is starting to come down so you're able to get more solar generation from it and depending on the price of the tracking versus fixed it might make sense based on the cost and then how much additional generation that you'll get and again renew energy will help you oh yeah we we could help with these things it really depends on the situation and as well the weather environment yeah. because um, sometimes variable tracking systems might not work in extreme snow conditions. But even then, that technology is getting better as well for that. Along those lines, there's also this perception that solar panels will require a lot of maintenance. It is actually more maintenance than a, you know, roofs in general are high maintenance parts of a building give our listeners a sense of uh, whether it's a lot more maintenance, kind of in the middle, or depends. One of the great things about solar, the biggest cost is related to the installation. And then there's ongoing operations and maintenance, but it's pretty low. And then, so, you know, you don't really have to kind of actively be watching the system and how accurate, like, the monitoring is. And with string inverters, you're able to actually go on a panel level and tell which panels are going out. As far as with roofing, I mean, usually if you're going to put a solar system, you're going to do some sort of, if it's not a new roof, some sort of restoration or upgrade or new roofing to make sure that the solar and the roof is within the same useful life. Because as I said, solar panels last for 25 to 30 years. You don't want to be taking it out and then putting it back. So that's why making sure the roof is in great condition before you actually install anything is very important. That actually brings us to another point, and I know you don't specialize in residential installations, but that said, this is still an interest of commercial property owners. People are worried that solar panels will make their buildings or their roofs unattractive. You know, is this a good designer can alleviate that, or do you think that uh, this should be a concern at all? I think it's subjective. It was interesting in the beginning, people had an issue feeling that solar panels looked ugly. Mm-hmm. So, but over time, people have actually said they like it because it shows that they're that they're into renewable energy and sustainability. So, it really, kind of depends on the person. Like there are solar shingles, 
mm-hmm. which Tesla has become famous for marketing that. But the unfortunate thing about that is you're not going to get the same production that you would with roof shingles, at least now with your typical sort of solar installation with your regular sort of panels. So solar shingles are a way of getting around that. But unfortunately, it doesn't absorb as much sun and it's more costly than your traditional installation. So I'm going to bring up an article written by Leslie Marincola, and she's a CEO of Engaza. And Leslie, if you're out there, Benoit is not really connected with you on LinkedIn, so find Benoit Tangent out there, Leslie. So she says that there are some things people get wrong about solar energy. She's saying that the influx of cheap, low-quality solar products in emerging markets has remained a pervasive problem. Off-grid families who have invested in low-quality solar products often lose trust in solar because these products tend to break only after several months of use. Luckily, as energy access industry has matured over the last several years, the importance of many high-quality solar products into emerging markets has helped change the consumer perception of solar. What do you think of what she's saying? Obviously, if you buy low-quality equipment, then you should expect that it's not going to last that long. I think what's happening is there are a lot of manufacturers out there, but when we develop a project, we're always working with tier one, the most high quality sort of material. Actually, talk a little bit more about this sure. subject. How does your company grade the products it's working with? Is there a system within the industry that these tiers, is this a regulated system? Sure. So like uh, the most popular company that does the tier one panel, at least for panels, is a company called uh, Bloomberg. And they basically have a process where they approve tier one panels. And it's also related to the stability of the company, meaning like the financial assets. Um, and then like there's a company called like DNVGL, which I think they'll look at other sort of equipment and tell you whether it's basically tier one. So everything we work with our investors on commercial industrial utility scale is utility scale, is tier one. So I could see how, obviously, if you're not using the top tier equipment, that you would have some problems with it. Renew Energy only works with the top tier equipment because that it's better for everyone, yes. basically. Yes, yeah. basically, okay. yes. So Leslie also talks about how important it is to have good batteries to store sure. this energy. And this is something you've been really emphasizing lately. Tell the, our listeners about the battery and why this part of the, the process is so important. Sure. So batteries are great because, as I said before, like solar is an intermittent form of power. Solar really works when the sun is shining. And there are times specifically at night where you cannot save the solar energy because the batteries are too expensive. But what we're seeing is specifically like the lithium ion technology for batteries, the pricing is going down substantially, similar to what we were seeing in solar with the panels. So, you know, right now it's actually challenging from a commercial industrial perspective in the U.S. to make solar plus energy storage economical. We're seeing everyone kind of looking at that because that's going to be the future. States working on incentives, combining solar plus storage, for example, Massachusetts and their new SPART program, which is basically a feed-in tariff, has like an adder for if you have storage within it. I think she's focused actually on residential 
because that gives you an opportunity, especially in developing countries, to have energy independence from the grid and produce your own energy. So I could see that's why it's huge. It's going to be once solar plus storage becomes economical and more cost competitive, you're going to see it being adopted pretty much everywhere because then you have energy independence from the grid. You also have reliability like during Sandy. We lost power because transmission and distribution lines went down and the utility would then have to go and find out where that issue is and fix it. But if you're actually generating your, your own energy and using it, it creates a lot of you know different opportunities regarding. Actually, that's a very interesting point. We, we were here, you and I actually went to get pizza together during Hurricane Sandy. Yes. And then most of the business in our area had lost power. How can solar energy and good use of solar energy impact future natural disasters in helping recover from it? Hopefully, in a time in the near future, you could probably produce most of your electricity on site. It depends, obviously, on the landscape of your home or how it's kind of set up, meaning available land for solar with no issues with shading or anything like that and space. But you'll still need the grid. Right. But that basically creates sort of freedom. And, and when those situations come, the battery, too, acts as like a battery backup. So when you you know, need energy, it's all done on site. So there's not that risk that you would have when you have transmission lines and other things that are down and are not able to get electricity because of that. So, Benoit, you talk to a lot of people, a lot of building owners when you're prospecting new business. What do you hear from them that are common misconceptions about solar energy? What are you hearing out in the field? So I think it's the common things that I've already said is like solar energy is too expensive, that they can't save money because at the end of the day, the primary reason they're going to do it is economic. The other thing that we see is it's really complicated to actually educate clients on all the different incentives. I talked about the federal incentives. There's an investment tax credit accelerated depreciation explaining that you have to have a tax obligation to incentivize that. And then uh, really explain sort of the other incentives and to make sure that they have from a financial and technical perspective an ideal location. So those are kind of the different things that we work with with the building owner to get them comfortable with solar. Is it easy to find out what your area is offering as far as incentives go? Is the information widely available? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the information is widely available, but it's complicated because you have to read government documents on the bill, and so sometimes it's not that clear to people, especially for someone like me who's obviously been in the solar industry and energy industry more than 10 years. Like I could easily sort of comprehend and read it, but for people who are not. And it's not their everyday thing. It's more challenging to grasp. Right. You just mentioned you've been in the business for almost uh, or over a decade. Yeah. What are some of the things that have really changed since your early days? What do you recall from your early days starting out that's much different from what's going on now? Uh, it, there's so much that's changed. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like the cost of installing a system has gone down exponentially, maybe 400, 500 or 600%. When I first started financiers, weren't very comfortable with solar as an asset class in the U.S., and now people are very, very comfortable. We see a lot of financing companies that have come into the space, and that's really driven returns for projects lower, 
And before it used to be, there was a lot of good projects and not a lot of money. Now there's a lot of money chasing very small amount of projects. And then, you know, to see companies like corporations who are willing to basically buy renewable energy as part of their corporate strategy has been huge. And I spoke at a SPI, the Solar Power International, about corporate companies purchasing power through long-term power purchase agreements for utility-scale solar projects. So I think those are the kind of major things that you see. Talk a little bit more about that. What was the thrust of your talk at the conference? So it was great because it was a you know, different perspective on we had someone who worked for the utility, we had a developer, we had an investor in solar projects, Capital Dynamics, which has invested $1 billion in projects. Uh, we also had a company that owned data centers. So it's great to hear the different perspectives. And really, corporates are really increasing what their goals for having 100% renewable. They're providing a lot more corporate PPAs to potential projects to get them developed. Utilities like Southern, which was at the panel, are having things like green tariffs, where they're basically offering renewable energy to their corporate customers. There are definitely a lot of interesting things that were discussed during the panel. So you're actually going to be traveling again soon. Tell our listeners a little bit about what you'll be doing in the near future. Yeah, definitely. So there is a conference in Colombia coming up in November. Colombia seems is an early market for solar, but it seems to be emerging. We're looking at some potential projects as well to partner with the developer. As well, in December, there's a U.S. investor who's interested in investing in some projects in Vietnam that we'll look at those projects. And then I'm back and forth uh, from Jersey City in California because we opened an office there. So I'll definitely be on the road for a good bit. Are there any current projects that you're allowed to talk about and you want to share a little bit of details with our listeners? So, yeah, we um, actually won an interesting project from NYCHA, which is the New York uh, Housing Authority, to look at 800 kilowatts of solar projects on their apartment buildings. And uh, we partnered with Kinetic Communities, Standard Solar, which is an investor in EPC. And Sounds like Elucid, a pretty big project. Oh, it's a pretty big project, Elucid Training. And um, it actually incorporates training people to install solar. It's a community solar project where Basically, we're going to sell the energy to individuals. And part of the individuals that we're selling it to is low-income and moderate housing. So it's not just what solar has been sold to before, which has been usually people with the credit score of 650 or 700, but it's you know more open to more people. So that's an exciting project that we've been awarded to do further due diligence of it and that we're currently working on right now. So it's not only the mainstreaming of solar, it's only reaching out to typically a demographic that has never had access to such technology. Yes, that is correct. All right. So Benoit, let's wrap up this episode. What advice do you have for building owners as a first step of their considering solar? Contact Renew Energy? (laughs) Other than contact Renew Energy, yes. Uh, So really it's like uh, making sure that it's a couple of different things, that you have high electricity costs, Right now, you know, during business hours, you have high usage. You're in a state that has great incentives for solar. And then looking really through a firm about 
what locations on your office or on your land might be ideal for solar and how big can that system be how much of it, the energy can you offset and then doing like a financial sort of payback so that's pretty complicated but you have to get started somehow you have, you have to get started somehow all right thanks Benoit. another great episode of the solar maverick yep thank you lee i appreciate it we'll see you thanks. next time yeah see you soon Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can.